in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These are the stories of the Word becoming flesh, of God entering into our world. The stories of the men and the women who beheld the birth of a fragile human life. Born into a world of injustice, oppression, corruption, violence, and confusion. But the birth of a king who would cause shepherds, family, followers, and kings alike to confess. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Well, hello, uh, Grace Commons. My name is Eric Hansen. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really, really, I can't tell you how uh, pleased and glad I am to be here sharing uh, God's word with you today. If you've been part of our congregation over the fall, you know that I have uh, been away for a bit of a leave. And Amy and I, we both continue to be so grateful that uh, we've had some time and space to do this marital work that we've needed to do. You know, it's an interesting thing about the pastoral life that there's much about our life and family life that gets to remain private just like it does for everyone else. And then, of course, there are also moments when we have a very public life, especially in this weird way for pastors where the health and strength of their marriage and of their family life is part of the job description. So we've been away to do some really important and uh, really very wonderful work, uh, learning some new habits and practices, learning to stand on a new footing. We've been really deeply thankful for that work, for the privacy that you've allowed us to do that work. Um, And then also really that we just are part of a church and a community um, that is uh, so desirous that their pastors and other leaders would be in a healthy place. So As we get started today, let me just say thank you, and Amy and I are both so glad to be back. We got to see a number of you on Friday as we were the hosts for uh, the Christmas light tour, and it was really such a delight to see people uh, in the flesh. Well, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, We are now just four days away from Christmas Eve. And so far we have uh, lit, as we've called them this year, the candle of hope and faith and joy. And today will be the peace candle. And it comes from this promise in Isaiah 9, 7, that the greatness of the government of this coming king and his peace will have no end. So friends, let us, as we light this candle today, remember those promises of what Jesus Christ brings at his birth. 
Well, uh, today's text, as we work our way through uh, this series called Messiah, is, is one I think that uh, I, think, I think you'll be familiar with. You probably have seen it in all sorts of figurines and uh, places even around town. Let me, uh, let me just show you a picture. If you've, I'll give you a hint. Here's, here's a picture. These uh, six guys that you see here, these six wise guys, have been following me around this week as inspiration. My children have been putting them wherever they think I'm going to be uh, working and preparing that week. And this is the moment when we celebrate and we look to the scriptures to understand what does it mean that the Magi, coming from afar, visit the Messiah. And I actually like this setup, these six wise men. We don't, we don't actually know how many wise men there were um, by tradition. And really, I think, uh, just as a matter of convenience when it comes to art and things like manger scenes, um, we've kind of whittled it down to three. One for each gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's very likely there was actually an entourage, but we don't, we don't actually know how many there actually were. Um, in five days, maybe many of you, like me, will afford it. Five days, we'll read this text on Christmas morning as part of our way to remember the goodness of what Christmas actually is about before we go ripping into presents and trying on things and, you know, inserting batteries, all the other things that come with, with Christmas morning. And uh, because we know this story so well, because it's part of this kind of this thing that in some ways our, our culture, maybe even in our own hearts, we've allowed to kind of become kind of cute. I think maybe I, sometimes we miss what it actually means. And this is now part of sort of the vernacular, the language, the culture around this season. And we, we, we stop pausing to really consider what it does mean. Because it does mean something. It's in God's word for a reason. So what I want to do today, and actually what I want to encourage you to do throughout this week as you come to the scriptures personally, is maybe to read, practice reading more slowly than you normally would. Just slow down and consider, rather than, I know this, I know this, I know this, pause. Wonder and consider what's really happening here. What have I not noticed before in my desire to simply check the box and get to the next part of my day or my morning? And I think what you'll find out, as I want to show you today, is as we come to the scriptures to read it slowly, what we find is, is there's, there's things that are happening on sort of a multiple of levels all at once. We already talked about one of them. One's just the level of the familiar. We just sort of know this story in this very comfortable way. But there's also this uh, really grand connection to God's much larger story of what God's been doing from the very beginning of time. This big cosmic story. And then also, friends, it means something very particular and specific for you and for me. If it means something on a grand scale, that's because it actually means something for the people who are in that grand scale. It means something for you. You're part of the story. And we want to talk about that a little bit today too. So let's turn there. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12, I'm going to read actually uh, maybe even faster than I would want you to read this week on your own as you come to these texts to read more slowly. 
But here we go. Uh, pardon me, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we come to you today in light of this story, eager to hear from you. Even in this unusual year that we get to have this year with you and in our culture, still this is a year that demands a new kind of busyness, planning, distraction, preparation, and celebration. Lord, those things oftentimes are good and blessing, but also they are insufficient for life. So, Lord, we come to you now and we pray that your word would speak to us, that it would nourish us, that it would fill us, that what we learn and see and think about today would help us to live our life with a different kind of attentiveness to you and to our neighbor. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be truly pleasing and acceptable in your sight. If you are our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, so this is uh, really one of those really interesting moments uh, where um, oftentimes we've, we've taken the stories of what we know from the Gospel of Luke and the angels and the manger and we've smooshed it together with what we see here in Matthew and the Magi coming to worship, but probably they were separated by uh, likely even a couple years and what I want to do to start today to talk about sort of this big opening, sort of big overarching story is to actually take the, the birth of Jesus and fast forward about 
30-ish years. And at the very end of the Gospel of Luke, another account that we have of the life of Jesus, right there in Luke chapter 24, there's this really fascinating moment. Jesus has, has already lived his life. He's already been crucified. He's already conquered death by himself and on our behalf. And he's walking with some disciples who they don't recognize him in his resurrected body and life. And they're walking to this place called Emmaus. And as they're walking, they're talking, and eventually Jesus begins to sort of lay out for them how everything that has happened has been um, prepared in advance. The scriptures have already been speaking about it. He, he, he begins to say, show them all the things in the Old Testament that are about himself, that are about Jesus. And I've been in a m- number of conversations over time when people have wondered, what's... What's on that list? What does Jesus include when he says, these are the things that are about me? And, and actually, we, we don't know. There's not another place where we get to know what those things are. But I, I do think it's reasonable to think that it might include some, some passages from the Old Testament, from the First Testament, it might have included some passages like this. This first one is this one that actually um, describes and the biblical scholars share with um, Herod in this moment from Micah chapter five, verse two. It's quite simple. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come to me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. The king that they're most longing for is going to come from this very small, modest town and tribe. And his his origins are from ancient times. They they go all the way to the the taproot of history. It's prophesied some 700 years before Jesus is born. And I think it's just very easy for me to imagine that Jesus is walking with his disciples, with me, simply saying, this is about God's sovereignty from long ago. This is part of the plan. I've been born in this little town called Bethlehem to show to you and prove to you that God and his love has has been planning for a long time. God's been planning for a long time for this event. And I imagine he may have shown them something like this from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light, your star, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. You see, darkness covers the earth, and there's a thick darkness which is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. It's easy to imagine that this light that rises is this this light that has been seen by the magi. And as they come and follow this light, they find themselves um, discovering God's plan in a fresh way. 
representing the nations that are from afar and aren't part of Israel, uh, they come and they worship. In fact, that's what we see in this other passage from Psalm 72, verses 9 through 11. May the desert tribes bow before him and may his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tributes to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and may all nations serve him. You see, friends, this is, this is the grand scale and story. Three voices from three different time periods, from three different perspectives, they all say that God is going to do something in some way and we'll recognize it because this is what's going to happen. When God is on the move in this way, this is what's going to happen. Something is going to arise in the sky. Well, people will know that there's been a, a convergence of circumstances, that, that something is new is happening and breaking into the world. And those who notice, those who recognize it, are, they're going to come from everywhere. Not just from Israel. This is not just some small little local God sort of concentrated on just some small town. But no, this God is God of all. And so even those who don't know him, even those who don't know this story, even those who don't know to expect that this is what God will do, they, they find themselves mysteriously drawn to this new king. They find themselves wanting to travel to this new king. And when they arrive and they find out a little bit more, they, when they get there and they recognize that this is the child king, they get down to his level. They bow down, they bend the knee, and they worship. And then they give, really, bow down to gifts. him, and may all nations. And friends, that giant arc of a story is actually getting lived out here in this passage. We don't exactly know a lot about the Magi. We sure would love to know a lot more. They did not leave um, a resume or a, or a biography, but our, our best understanding is that they were what would have been called sort of wise men or even priests of a different faith called Zoroastrianism, which means probably they were somewhere in Babylon or Iraq and had to travel quite a ways to find Jesus in Bethlehem. They journey from this kingdom after peering into the stars and recognizing that something new has happened and it's pointing them in the direction to travel to Israel. And that day, that wasn't that unusual because actually astronomy and astrology were combined in a way that we, we think of those as two very, very separate fields now. But in the first century, there was an understanding that the stars actually did have something to say to us. And sometimes, some religions, some faiths thought they had something very specific, even prophetic to say, if only we could understand it. Our own scriptures say that the heavens cry out with the glory of God. At the very least, what we can say is the stars point to the magnificence, the creative power, the tender care of the one who made it all. And these travelers, however many they are, they eventually find themselves in the capital. And they were invited to talk to Herod. They go approach the king Herod and they ask him, where is this king? 
You can imagine how upsetting that might be. And once they do a little research, they say, well, apparently Bethlehem, when you find him, would you let us know? We're deeply, well, I don't know what they said to the wise men, to the magi, but you know they're agitated and bothered, not knowing exactly what this means for them or for their future or for their kingdom or for anything else. So when they do finally come, these magi, they recognize Jesus, they bring him gifts and they worship. So as a way to sort of think about a summary of this large arc and how it's been pointed to for, for centuries before it actually happens, there's a simple, small little phrase. The, the king came from an unexpected corner as we see in Micah. And it was announced in an exceptional manner as we see hinted at in Isaiah 60. And this king is worshiped by a surprising list of other nations. As we see as an example in Psalm 72. And friends, what we discover is this all happens to Jesus. God's plan is on the move through this child, through this, at this point, maybe toddler. It's really happening. The things that have been happening in history and have been foretold by the prophets are, are now starting to come together and get woven together in this king, this person, this peasant, really, as his life begins. This is... This is the grand story. As we read this, we can know that part of what's happening is that God is keeping his promises about how we will know that Jesus is the king. This thing's going to happen. 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 And the more things that happen where Jesus fits that description, then the, the more confident we can be that Jesus really is the king that the Bible is talking about and has been waiting for. That's the grand big arc. This is the sort of the cosmic thing that God has in store for creation. But this cosmic plan, this big, large, overarching plan, if it is a large overarching plan, is not just a story in a book. It's going to actually have to affect people. There's something here that has personal application. If the whole world is involved in this plan, that means that this plan involves you. And it involves me. And to do this simply and uh, easily today, I'm, I'm simply going uh, to just lay some things out about Herod. King Herod and those who advise him and the Magi who have traveled from afar. And so I'm going to be able to talk about two people that we see or two kind of ways, two people that we see in this story, but you're going to have to do some work on your own. As I go through this comparison back and forth and contrasting back and forth, you're, you're going to have to put yourself on the map of these contrasts. You're going to have to think and ponder about the application. You're going to have to wonder, where am I personally on this spectrum? So let's just start to go through it, shall we? The, the wise, those who are like the magi in every time, in every season, and every era of human history, the wise, well, they come to Jesus from all over. 
There is no specific designated place, geography, or background. They simply seek. Beginning with the understanding that they have, they seek to know this King Jesus. For the Magi, what they knew is there was a star that in their own faith seems to indicate that something massive had just happened. The wise, they they come to Jesus from all over. But others who should maybe know by now, they ignore the promises. They deny the existence or the importance of this king. They miss to their own peril. Where are you? Willing to come from wherever or ignore ignore what you should already know. The wise, they they come to Jesus completely unconcerned about expense or reputation. They've had to pack up and tell family and friends, co-priests, I have no idea. And said, we're going to a far land. We have no idea what we're going to see there. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but we're going. But some, they're reluctant to look a little too committed, too interested Some, they refuse to come as close as they should. Maybe fearful to look too religious and perhaps worried about their own status. Friends, which are you? Do you find yourself unconcerned about the expense and reputation of following Jesus and seeking him out? Or do you find yourself cautious about looking too serious about your own spirituality, not wanting too many to know that that you actually um, say Jesus is king. Where are you in that spectrum? The wise, they recognize that there's something that is sort of agitated in their own heart. They can see and they can know that something has been going on within them. Something is poking and prodding them. So they come to this Jesus with curiosity and with humility. Eventually, as that curiosity is answered, they find themselves coming to Jesus in worship, even as a small child. But for others, this heart agitation only confuses them more deeply. Have you ever just sat and just had something roiling within? How have you responded in that moment? Maybe you could come to Christ in curiosity next time. Others, they stay far off. They keep their heart hard, sure that there is some other solution. And for as long as they stay kind of far off from Jesus, they're convinced in some way that it makes them look strong, grounded in the world, and wise in the sight of other humans. Or at least it makes them look not weak. Friends, are you worried about looking weak or in curiosity, do you want to be made well? See, the wise, they see a kingdom and a life that is beyond this one. 
That's why they're willing to, to take a risk, to, to make a move, to risk their reputation, to spend time and effort and money to go do this really unusual, exceptional thing, to declare that Jesus is king. They have a godly fear that leads to worship. But some, some when they hear about Jesus, they see a challenger to their own little earthly kingdom. Some who hear about the saving work of Jesus, they, they begin to act defensively. They might even pretend that they're engaged like Herod does. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm interested. But in reality, even that interest is a way to say, I'm only interested in this much. I'm only interested in to the extent that I can then try to act to let this king die and stay away from me. Sometimes people hear about Jesus and they see the threat to their earthly power, which they cling to more than they do the life to come. They miss the glory. They miss the hope. Friends, I wonder, do you see yourself in here? If you are not among the wise, or even if you are, if you are among those who are still confused and uncertain, maybe you've been part of this church or a church for years and years and years, and still you realize there's a reluctance to come to Jesus. Let me just end with this simple little summary um, that uh, was offered by N.T. Wright. It's really simple. As we think about coming up to Christmas Eve in just four days, think about Jesus as king. Come to him by whatever route you can and bring the best gifts you have especially yourself. Think about Jesus as king. Come to him by whatever route you can muster and bring the best gifts that you have, especially yourself. Friends, read slow. Put yourself in the story. Worship God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even so much of a short story can mean so much for us and can lay bare your plan for all humanity and for all time. We come before you, Lord, recognizing this grand story also has personal implication and application for us. So I pray as a gift of your Holy Spirit the power that knows no boundaries of time or electronic space or computers or TVs or anything else, would you, would you come and speak to everyone who watches this and all who are watching now? Would you allow them to think of Jesus as king, to think about him as king, and to come to Jesus by whatever route that they can muster, and to bring to him whatever best gift they have to offer, especially themselves. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.